All right, we are in a series that I hope to do throughout the Holy Days this year that I'm calling hyperlinks, trying to connect the dots between the scriptures and between the Holy Days um, so that you begin to see that the uh, these things are connected, in fact connected. There's a terrible belief in Christianity that uh, the Jewish holy days, the biblical holy days, and the, the traditional holy days that Judaism has are immaterial to us or uh, have no be- bearing on us or information to help us. And there's a equally uh, terrible rumor that uh, the traditions of Christianity are of pagan origin uh, because of syncretism. Most people who use that word don't know what syncretism is. Uh, One of the reasons I became an anthropologist was to study those things. Syncretism is when people adapt things in a culture where they are to the truth that keeps their identity and truth in place. So when syncretism takes place among Jews, they are changing things of the culture around them so that uh, that part of them that can be consistent with who they are as Israel uh, is continued. And the early Christians did the same thing. They didn't uh, become pagans. They didn't paganize Christianity. They tried to Christianize the pagans. And that process involved some syncretism that we'll talk about throughout this series. Uh, The last two weeks we focused on the... um, first two candles of Advent, the candle of hope and the candle of faith. And I mentioned that hope is not a wish. It's an anticipated promise. God must give the promise and that then becomes anticipated that he will keep his word and that is our hope. Last week we looked at faith and I said faith is misunderstood. People think that Faith is a force. If I just have enough faith, something will happen. Jesus tried to correct that when he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, be removed and it it will happen. It's not your faith that's doing it. Faith is trusting God who has all power, right? And faith is trust in the sense of a response to the one who promised Faith is in the promiser, not in the promise. Okay, So it's not faith in believing that the mountain will move. It's faith in believing that God will move mountains. Right? We get these things misunderstood. Well, today we consider joy. Now, joy, like hope and faith, is a very misunderstood term. You and I live in a world where emotion is rapidly becoming a compulsive part of people's life and a basis for their perception of reality. The entertainment and sports focus of our culture has made us function very much like an addict, requiring greater and greater stimulation that gives us pleasure and escape. And we think that we are in pursuit of joy or happiness, which we conflate inappropriately. So our present focus on emotion as a psychological reality, even to the point of gender reality, 
has created a relativism that allows us to believe anything we feel to be true. And this has been very evident in our political dialogue of late, if you can call that dialogue, uh, where perceptions on both sides became true and they just looked for evidence to confirm what they already believe. So, I want to say from the beginning that joy is not happiness. And joy is not fun. And joy is not giddiness. Most people are pursuing happiness and fun and overwhelming giddiness kind of things. That is not what joy is. So, I want to talk about joy from a biblical context. I could do an entire series on this and maybe need to later. I think this is one of the misunderstood terms in, in, the, in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a definition of joy. I'm going to give you it in some basic phrases. And then I'm going to give you some biblical texts. Just a couple. I could do this ad nauseum that tie these things together. So, joy is an energetic, notice the word, an energetic confidence in God based on what he has already done, which encourages or strengthens our resolve to trust him with an enduring patience. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to use these phrases. I want you to catch this. Joy is an energetic confidence in God that is based on what He has already done, which encourages or strengthens us in our resolve to trust Him with an enduring patience. Now, the passage I want to start with is Nehemiah. Chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 12, but I'll talk a little bit about the context of this. In verse 8 it says, They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people... Uh, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to those who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, this passage is... Uh, from a time in the seventh month. So it's the Sukkot area of the Holy Days, uh, which is about the dedication of the temples, and it's about uh, the joy of the Lord. And when they did what they had done, they're back from the captivity. They built for the first time a wooden pulpit. They pulled out the Torah scroll, read it in Hebrew, explained it in Aramaic, 
so that people would understand it. That same process that we do down to this time in reading scripture and explaining it to people. That process begins with Ezra as a text-focused worship gathering right down to the present day. The Word of God is read because it contains the promises which is the hope of God's people. The Word causes faith, trust in the one who promised. But in the case of these people, it was bringing a loss and a sadness. We're not doing what God wants. Things are not going the way God wants. Oh, they're looking at the circumstances, they're looking at themselves, and they're mourning and weeping, and they're told then, wait a minute, this word of God is about joy. That sense of thankful confidence in God, and he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I want you to notice something here, and we'll look at a couple of passages. Joy is an energetic confidence in God. And and we are told in this book that the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to catch this. Joy is from the Lord. Okay? It doesn't come from your circumstances. It doesn't come from external conditions. It doesn't come from your attitude. It comes from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is a gift from God and a fruit of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. Not well taught. So let me give you two passages to underscore that. The first one is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now, I could read the entire book of Ecclesiastes. I can't do that, but I want to give you... We're going to pick it up, verse chapter 2, verse 24. Solomon is saying, I tried to figure it out. And this world basically sucks and then you die. Okay? Life is hard and then you die. That's Ecclesiastes. Alright? Four times in the book... Words to the effect of what we're about to read are echoed by him. In the midst of all that, here's the gift of God. So, chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat And who can have enjoyment without Him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. While to the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give it to the one who is good in God's sight, ultimately in the kingdom. This too is vanity and striving after wind. Now, catch this. The believer, the one who trusts God and walks upright, 
God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Joy is a gift from God. Don't seek it in circumstances. Don't look for it in uh, the world's context. It doesn't come from there. Fun does, but fun's fleeting. Happiness does, but happiness uh, goes away quickly. Joy is a gift from God. Now let me give you another passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. After listing the works of the flesh... Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nothing in, against the law in those things. Now, I want you to check the order here. Love is in first place. Joy is in the second place. It's even in front of peace, which we'll talk about next week. You will find the words joy and peace often associated in this context. So, happiness, fun, and giddiness come from the immediate circumstances and the state of our emotions. Joy is an energetic, strengthening confidence in God that overrides the distractions of the circumstances. In that sense, it's similar to the peace which passes all understanding. But this joy is given by the Lord as a strengthening of the inner man, as Paul calls it, and a renewing which increases our confidence that God will keep His promises and therefore it is well with our soul. That strengthening in the inner man is the joy, it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Now, it's based not on what God's going to do, not the hope. Joy is based, and faith is based on what God's going to do, right? Because once we don't need the faith for it, or trust for it, when we get it. So, the hope and the faith are really important. We're going to see that joy and peace are the things we need here. While we're waiting, by faith, for the hope to come. Alright? So, how do we know this joy comes from knowing what God has done? Well, we could spend several hours in the Psalms. I just want to look at three of them. We'll start... (coughs) Excuse me, it's allergy season for me. Um, uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33 says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with the harp of twelve ten strings. 
Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with the shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depths of the storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations, frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his his own inheritance. Now I want you to get this. The psalmist says, shout for joy, sing for joy. The joy is coming from what? The fact that God created the heavens and the earth by his word. And it is the word of God that is the promises of God, both the living word and the written word, and therefore the one who spoke this into reality is the one who made the promises. Those promises are as certain as this. So rejoice. He who promised will continue until he completes it. So the joy is based on we already have proof. God has done something. Look at Psalm 66. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feign obedience to you. All the earth earth will worship you and sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds towards the Son of Man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eye keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. Now what's he saying? God's worthy to be praised. Not only did he create the heavens and the earth, he brought Israel out of Egypt. The works of God tell us how powerful he is. And if he can do those, he can do everything he's promised. And therefore, we can be strengthened in the inner man with joy of the Lord. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness by night, with the ten-string lute and the harp, with the resounding music of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. This gladness is related to joy, by what you have done. I will sing it for joy at the works of your hand. You see it? Faith comes by hearing, 
hearing by the word of God, the promises and the faith are there. Joy is, I've seen what God's done, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Anticipation of God accomplishing things, in most cases, brings about joy. So, this then causes us, the joy of the Lord, to be encouraged and strengthened in our inner man and our hearts resolved to trust Him. I'm going to give you uh, one additional verse for that. The joy of the Lord is your strength is already there. We already looked at that. I want you to look at Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now you guys know this. You've experienced this. That joy of the Lord that sustains you, that makes you want to shout, even in the midst of bad circumstances, that God is good. The mourner's cottage that we do, a praising of God, even though the circumstances are not good. That is coming from joy of the Lord, which is a gift. And it strengthens us. It's different than a sad brokenness. And you've all had that. The energy loss of a person who's sad or depressed or has a broken spirit. You just have no energy at all. But a person who's joyful is filled with energy. Strengthened in the inner man. Now what is that energy for? That energy is so we will endure with patience when everything is going against us. A person with the joy of the Lord can endure difficulties and wait with patience for the promised hope to occur. I'm going to give you three passages on this one. First one is Philippians chapter 1. First six verses. I'll pick it up at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Why does he have joy? Because of what God did in their lives, based on God's words. I am confident of this very thing. See the strengthening? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers of grace with me. Paul is praying for them with joy and where is he? In jail. He is not going, he's not singing about his circumstances. He's not singing, if it keeps getting better and better, oh Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's not doing that, right? It's not good for him. But he has seen God working in people. 
even in the midst of his persecution, and he is joyous about it. That has to come from God. You can't fake that. Now the second verse uh, follows down a little further in verse 20. um, Verse 12, I'm sorry. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some for sure are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. And some also with goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my prison, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to the earnest expectation and hope. And I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Now you see what he does? He gets that eternal perspective. He sees what God has done. And none of this stuff is worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And so he's joyful that even in the bad circumstances... God is working. Wow. Now, Paul's not the only one. You could say, well, Paul's a little nuts. Okay? So let's go to someone else. James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James says these words in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He goes on to talk about God giving wisdom, which is wisdom and knowledge and joy are all related You have to be able to see from the Word of God that there is nothing in these circumstances that can ultimately take away any promise of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. That's why he says we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It's no big deal. We're more than conquerors. Because the hope that we have is beyond this life. So whatever happens in this life, we can face it with joy. Not joyful about the circumstances. Joyful about the fact that God can even work in these lousy circumstances. To bring about what he needs to do. And of course, 
James and Paul got this from a pretty good authority. A person named Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Joy is a gift from God that's based on what he's already done that encourages and strengthens us to trust him more in adverse circumstances so that we can bear them with patience. I think that's a missing part of many people's faith. Because they think they can only rejoice when God has done something good. God did something good so that you could take that joy with you through the next problem. And he did something good so that you can take that joy with you through the next problem. In other words, our comfort and our joy and our peace and our hope, these things all work together, but the one that strengthens us in the inner man, the one that energizes us, is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we are given a message by the angels. Behold, I give you good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. And as Paul says, I would say, he who began a good work in Bethlehem will continue it until he comes back King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he sets all things and all promises into place. There is no doubt that he will do it. We can either go miserably to that end or we can go joyfully to that end. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's pray.